Good morning. You got quiet too early. You ruined my opening joke. Usually you've been taking a lot longer to quiet down, so I was going to say, I know what you're doing. You're delaying the greeting time, hoping the sermon will get shorter. (laughs) Not going to happen. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And while they're leaving, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2 today. Proverbs chapter 2. Special thanks to Brian and the worship team, especially Brian for jumping in there after not feeling too good for a long time there. So Brian, appreciate you uh, fulfilling that responsibility and doing a good job again, and and for the rest of your team as well. Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to confess to you something. Proverbs is not my favorite book. I mean, it's got a lot of nice, pithy sayings, a lot of truth and wisdom, and a lot of feedback is what I'm hearing from my microphone. Are we working on that, Brett? Okay, thank you. Uh, but Proverbs is really great, but it's just not one of mine. That's good. Can you all hear me still, though? Okay, good. Thank you. Um, Proverbs is not my favorite books. I, I've never taught on Proverbs. I've never preached on Proverbs. Uh, I, I find the book a little or a lot, repetitive. It's really redundant. It says the same thing over and over again. It it repeats itself, like I'm doing now, okay? And for a type A personality like me, I find it hard to summarize a proverb because it's kind of going all over the place and, and repeating things. And it's like, how do you summarize this? And it doesn't even repeat things in the same order. We'll see today that things are out of order. And so I can't summarize it. I can't outline it very well. I can't diagram it. So it drives a type A personality like me crazy. But when Pastor Todd gave me the choice between doing Proverbs 2 to continue where he left off in Proverbs 1 before Easter or doing something totally different, I thought, you know what, Dale? Take the challenge. Get out of sight your comfort zone Let's look at the book of Proverbs chapter 2. And when I finally convinced myself of that, and I spent hours and hours and hours, ask my wife, I've probably spent more time on this sermon than I have on any other sermon. I spent hours on this thing. And after spending, oh, I don't know how many, I, I started weeks ago, and I put in hours every week. After spending a lot of time in this, I realized something. A bit of wisdom came into my mind. And I realized I should have done something else. But as I did study it, I found that there is some connection. Proverbs 2 is connected with Proverbs 1. I realized this when I started looking at the context of Proverbs 1, and I, and I looked at the last verse especially. And I said, you know what? That last verse is, is like an introduction to the whole chapter 2. So after a while, I did see some, some parts that made sense. But still, I have a hard time with Proverbs, not only because of repetition and all that stuff, but... There's a lot of things in there that I think, maybe I'm wrong and maybe my wife will correct me on this, but I think there's a lot of things in Proverbs that I already know, I already got a handle on, so, so why spend a lot of time in it? Just, just one example, Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. 
Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. Been there, done that, I found her. 44 years, 11 months, and two days ago, I found the perfect wife. May 22nd will be our 45th anniversary. Happy anniversary, honey. A little early present for you today. I practiced my sermon with her yesterday. I said, oh, I've got to skip this part. I don't want to read this. And then she got, oh, you're going to embarrass me, Dale? I said, well, we'll see. Anyway, so some of the Proverbs I can skip over. Proverbs 31, I just go ahead and skip that you know, proverb. But that's okay. Nevertheless, uh, I find, found a lot in Proverbs 2, and I actually was able to kind of organize it and, and outline it a little bit. I hope you can see that as you have your handout in front of you. Um, but I will warn you that because it was a challenge, I spent much more time in preparation than I did in practice. So if you see me referring to my notes a lot, it's because I didn't have a lot of time to practice. You know, I'm not as polished as Pastor Todd is. Uh, and I think I said every sermon, don't I? But anyway, that's because we appreciate Pastor Todd. And the only reason he asked me to speak some, once in a while is so you will appreciate him more. <laughs> but while studying Proverbs 2, I tried to make a connection. And I found that, yes, Proverbs 2 is repetitive, but it's repetitive with a purpose. Uh, before we go into that, though, let me give you a little review, because all teachers, and I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, as you know, most teachers will understand that review is important. Okay, so let's review a little bit. The first couple of weeks that Pastor Todd went through Proverbs 1 before Easter time, he taught us this. A biblical proverb is a model for living. It's something to be lived out, not just to be studied, not just head knowledge, but a heart and character aspect, a model for living. Pastor Todd said two main goals of Proverbs is to develop the wisdom which he described or explained as the application of knowledge. And the second goal is to develop character. Now, did these sound familiar at all? Oh, okay, I want to make sure I had the right sermon. Um, another thing Pastor Todd taught us is that Book of Proverbs in general is points our affection to wisdom personified. So there is wisdom seen throughout all the Proverbs, and it is repetitive. But as a college professor of ours once said, repetition is theological mucilage. And some of you have heard me say that before. Mucilage here, that word is not the cereal, mucilex, okay? Uh, Mucilage is, anybody know? Glue. It's glue, okay? So repetition is theological glue. To repeat something helps it stick, all right? So that's the purpose of Proverbs, the whole book. And Proverbs, uh, Pastor Todd told us that Proverbs 1, 20 through 33 especially, is a warning against not following the path of wisdom. And that's what we're going to unpack today as we look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 is an elaboration or unpacking of the warning that we found in chapter 1. And it's instruction on how to respond to that warning, how to follow the path of wisdom. So if you would, if you're in chapter 2 of Proverbs, just back up one verse to Proverbs one thirty-three. And I'm going to read to you starting there and then some portions of Chapter 2. Proverbs one thirty three. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. That verse gives you a preview of all chapter 2. Chapter 2, 1 through 4 especially, is listening to him. 
listening to God, listening to his word. And the last part of verse 33, shall be eased from the dread of evil. That describes verses 11 through 22, okay? So really 1 through 10 and 11 through 22 is a division that you can see right there in that one verse in chapter 1, Proverbs 1, verse 33. So let's read on. Chapter 2, or Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Skip down to uh, verse 12. That those wor- verses I read are the idea of listening to him and what will happen. And then verse 12 starts the idea of being at ease from the dread of evil. Verse 12 says, To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. And then look at verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. So today we're going to see that Proverbs 2 is, a, is again, listening to God for a purpose. What is that going to do for you? Matter of fact, if you look at the first four verses, you find that this is a if-then conditional clause in, these, uh, in this chapter, in this proverb. If you do these things, then these things will happen. And as your handout shows, the first four verses have an eight-part conditional if. Now, there's actually um, eight ifs in there. Four of them are um, stated specifically, and four of them are kind of understood ifs. And so I put the understood ifs in brackets. So looking at your handout, my son, if you receive my words, the idea of receiving is to lay a hold of them, to seize his words. If you receive my words, if you, understood, treasure my commandments within you, if you store them up, you grab a treasure, you store it up. If you'll store up those commandments, you lay hold of them and store them up in your heart. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you heed wisdom, if you hear wisdom, you heed it. You make it attentive to you. Pastor Todd said that wisdom here is a skill or expertise. And that's a skill or expertise that we see that we'll be using. So that wisdom we will use, it's a skill or expertise. Understood, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you stretch your heart, you incline it or you stretch your heart, you strive for that. You break out your boundaries and stretch that heart to understanding, as Pastor Todd told us a few weeks ago, means the object of knowledge. To have knowledge, you need to understand that knowledge. And that then leads to wisdom. If you cry for discernment, here is crying out in prayer. If you cry out in prayer for discernment or interpretation, you take that wisdom and you try to discern what God wants you to do with that. You interpret what he wants. And if you lift your voice for understanding, again, the lifting up your voice has the idea of prayer. Pray for intelligence, for understanding. Again, understanding being the object of your knowledge. And if you seek her as silver, seeking has the idea of desiring it. You desire it so much, you request it, you want to secure it, you seek it. 
And if you search for her as hidden treasure or wealth, then these things will happen. We'll get to the four thens in a minute, but I want to unpack this idea of seeking and searching. We weren't here last week because our annual Easter tradition is to go to Binghamton, where my wife is originally from, and spend time with her family. Her sister and brother-in-law, and this particular Easter, it was uh, their daughter, Sharon's niece, and her family, including one of their two kids. One's in college now, but the other, Aubrey, is still there, and Aaron's in college. So we were uh, in Binghamton last uh, last week, and over the years, when the kids were little, we have an Easter egg hunt. When they're little... Oh, and they used the plastic eggs. Anybody use the plastic eggs where you fill them up with goodies? When I was growing up, my cousins and I always used the real eggs. And, yeah, everybody's more related to that, okay? Um, and it was easy to find some of those real eggs because if they cracked, and, it, and if it was an early, warm time, you know, for Easter, you could usually smell some of the eggs where they were hidden, okay? <laughs> but beside the point. Well, the Francis family uses the plastic eggs. They open up, you stuff uh, candy in them, you know what I mean? Have you seen them at least? Nobody's ever used them, looks like, but you've seen them, you, you stuff candy in them. So the kids are looking, not looking for these boring, hard-boiled eggs, even no matter how colorful they might be. They're looking for treats. So Aaron and Aubrey would really be excited about Easter, especially when we were making sure that we had enough eggs for even number for each kid, so they were only allowed to, you know, get so many, because Aaron will always get more than Aubrey, because she was the littlest. But each one, though, had one golden egg to find. And in the golden egg was money. Okay? Now, when they were little, it was small denominations. But the larger the kids got, the larger the denominations. I think last time, last couple times, 20 bucks. Yeah, 20 bucks. No, they're not spoiled. (laughs) The eggs we got when I was a kid, they were spoiled. (laughs) In this case, the kids are spoiled. Well, Uncle Dale had the responsibility of hiding the Easter eggs every year. I don't know how he came up with that job, but Uncle Dale got to hide the Easter eggs. And when it got to be older, and and I knew there was a $20 bill in those, you know, golden eggs, Uncle, Bill was, or Uncle Dale was kind of tempted to switch out the 20 with maybe one or something, but he didn't. He didn't. Okay. But after the first couple of years, when Uncle Dale would hide the eggs, sometimes the kids couldn't find them all, because Uncle Dale was so good at hiding Easter eggs, you know? But the trouble is, Uncle Dale wasn't so good at remembering where he hid the Easter eggs. <laughs> and especially when there's one of those golden eggs still missing, oh boy, did we get a little nervous. But anyway, after a couple of years of doing that, Uncle Dale got smart, and he said, hey, you know what? It would probably be even more exciting if I made this into like a treasure hunt and had maps and clues. So if they couldn't find them, at least I might be able to find them. You know? So that's what I did. I started making maps and clues, made it a treasure hunt. Had them seek out and search for those eggs following a path, either a map or some clues. So it was a path. They followed the path to get those eggs. Getting wisdom is like an Easter egg hunt. It requires diligent searching and following a map, if you would. Okay, sidebar. It has nothing to do with the sermon, so hang on just a second. We also went to church with uh, Becky and her family last Easter, last week, and 
I noticed that the sermon, they had a lot of, some extra stuff for Easter, not, not a whole lot, but a couple extra songs and stuff, but I noticed the sermon was seven minutes long. Seven minutes long. Not that I was timing or anything, but I asked them afterwards, I said, is he usually that short, or was it just special Easter? Oh, yeah, there's some special songs and, and things. Yeah, he usually goes for a full ten minutes. Well, my time's up. All right, uh, let's close in prayer. I'm not going to look at Pastor Todd right now. Okay. <clears throat> let's look at verse 5. 5 through 8. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the right, upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of the justice, of the justice, and he preserves the way of the godly ones. Five through eight, we see the first two dens, as your outline or handout show. The first two dens of the four if-then clause. They are the first two promises that we have if we follow the eight ifs found in verses one through four. Promise number one: If you follow the path of wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and understood. Then you will discover the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord, knowledge of God. Okay? Fear here talks about a respect, an awe, a reverence for the Lord. Not a fearful fear, but a reverence, an awe. If you follow these things, you will start to awe, feel reverence for the Lord God and how amazing he is. Because the Lord gives wisdom. You see that in verses 2, 6, 7, and 10. He gives knowledge, 5, 6, and 10. He gives understanding, verses 2, 3, 6, and 11. So seeking and valuing wisdom leads to a person's understanding or discerning the fear of God and the knowledge of God. Let me elaborate upon these things. Or let me get to the next part here. For he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield, and there's some fill in the blanks there in case you haven't noticed. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. He stores up, he is a shield, he guards, he preserves. Those words, upright, uprightly, justice, and godly, indicate that wisdom is a matter of the heart. As we said earlier, not just head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Knowing God, loving God, desiring Him, seeking after Him, searching for Him. In verse 8, we see the first mention of a concept that would be repeated at least 11 times in this Proverbs. In this proverb. And the concept that is to grow in wisdom requires following a path a pathway, a course, a walk of life. It's one's conduct. And just like I eventually got the kids a path to find those eggs, those treasures, God says if you follow a path to wisdom, if you follow the path that I've laid for you, you will be rewarded. You will understand who I am and what I have for you.
Now in the second set of verses, the next set of verses, 9 through 11, we see the second set of two thens of our if-then clause. The third and fourth promises that we have if we follow the eight ifs. 9 through 11, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. And I've tried to make these thoughts a little clearer for you too on the outline there, on the handout. Then you will discern righteousness and judgment. And then you will discern equity and every good course or path. For or because wisdom will enter your heart. Fill in the blank there. Wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard or preserve you. And understanding will watch over or keep you. In other words, a person who strives for God's wisdom in verses 1 through 4 will find that it will enter his heart and his soul. As Pastor Todd told us, wisdom, as I said earlier, is a skill or expertise that helps you to utilize the knowledge that you have. Knowledge then leads to wisdom. And if you have that knowledge and wisdom, you can exercise discernment or discretion. You know which way to go because you have knowledge and wisdom from God. And that discernment or discretion, Pastor Todd told us, is a deep character that cannot be fooled. I like that. When you have discernment, you can't be fooled. It's a deep character that you have. And once you have the wisdom and knowledge and discernment or or discretion, you have an even greater understanding of our walk with God. So if you do those eight things we saw earlier, then this will happen, and you will receive wisdom, knowledge, discretion, understanding. But let me get a little little political here for a minute. Go back to verse 9. I thought about doing this and not doing this, and I thought, you know what? God laid it on my heart that it's something that we hear about all the time, and I get a little upset about it, so I'm going to share it with you. Verse 9 says, Remembering that this was written, what, Pastor Todd, several thousand years ago? At least a couple before the uh, coming of our Lord. So this was written several thousand years ago. And God had this, had Solomon write this in verse 9. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Does that remind you of anything? I see one head shaking. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Justice and equality. Social justice. Social equality. How many have heard of the woke movement? W-O-K-E. You should ask how many haven't heard of it. The woke movement. This is the latest, I guess you'd say, age of enlightenment type of thing. Okay? People have said that, hey, you need to be woke up to this. Social injustice. Let me read to you. One source defines the woke culture as being alert to injustice in society 
Another source states that social equity and equality is impartiality, fairness and justice for all people in social policy. The woke culture says if you're not woke, you're asleep. You're asleep to all the injustice that's going on in society. And I'm going to read most of this because it took me a long time to word it just right. So I might be reading it more than usual. But uh, it's absolutely true. Okay, this... Sources say that woke culture started with the Black Lives Movement, but has gone on and expanded. And I'm here to say that it's absolutely true that black lives matter. It's absolutely true that white lives matter. It's absolutely true that Asian lives matter. It's absolutely true that Native American lives matter. It's absolutely true that blue lives matter, law enforcement. And it's actually absolutely true that pre-born lives matter, which your woke culture won't say because that contradicts their women's have a right. But pre-born lives matter, okay? I don't know about you, but I remember, this reminds me of a Sunday school song we used to sing back in the dark ages when I was a kid. Anybody know which one I'm talking about? Amen. Let's do it again. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Black Lives Matter. Hey, you know what? The woke culture thinks that they just came up with this, that they just woke up to it. Christians have been saying this for a long time. Yeah, red and yellow, I don't think are politically correct, you know, terminology anymore. Ask the Washington football team about the red one, uh, but Christians have been and should be woke to this a long time ago. The woke cultures believes that they are promoting a new concept, but I'm here to tell you that the concept of being woke to social injustice and equality started in eternity past with God himself. There are at least 76 verses in the Bible that address justice and inequality. Or equality, excuse me. Including Acts 10, 34, and 35. Those verses state that God shows no partiality. Quote, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now, this is after his vision about the clean and unclean food, I understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. He has no partiality to them. That's what the woke culture is missing. They're leaving God out of the picture. But Peter had it right when he says God is, shows no partiality Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every ethnic group. If they fear him and does his right and acceptable to him, that's the woke culture that should be. One that takes God into the equation. Anyone can come to him if we receive his words and commandments. Are attentive to his wisdom. 
Incline our hearts to his understanding. Pray for discernment and understanding. And seek them as silver and search for them as treasure. Sadly, it seems the world culture itself has just now woke to the concepts of justice and equality that God established from the beginning. The problem is the world culture refuses to acknowledge that without God, who is our moral compass, there can be no true equality and justice. Equality and justice can only come through the true knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that only God can give. To be truly woke to a culture of justice and equity, you need to be woke to God, who created the red and yellow, black and white, all mankind who are precious in his sight. Thus ends the political commercial. I had to say that. It's just a small portion of Proverbs, but I felt led to, to address that idea of justice and equality because we were le- the world's leaving out that part of it, God's part. So how can we summarize these 11 verses? While the psalmist alternates the wording, and this drives a type A person crazy, he alternates it. He doesn't keep them in order. You know, he says wisdom first here, then he says knowledge first somewhere else. It, it drives me crazy, but... So as a type A, I had to come up with one final... Uh, sentence that kind of summarizes and it's the bottom of your handout I summarize 1 through 11 this way if we seek and search for God's word receive it incline our hearts towards it and treasure it he will provide us with knowledge understanding wisdom discernment and discretion so that's my summary of the verse 11 verses now usually I do an application at the end of the sermon but Today I felt it was kind of appropriate to put it in the middle here. Uh, so I have an application for you. Looking at that statement there that I just read, I want you to circle words that might be appropriate to you. Where are you on the path to wisdom? Where are you on the path to wisdom? Circle as many of the words in the summary statement that are evident in your life today. Are you seeking and searching God's word? If so, either circle seeking or searching or both. If you're seeking, but you say, oh, I'm not really, don't have the attitude of searching like I did as a kid on Easter egg hunt. I didn't, I don't have the attitude yet, but I'm seeking it by going to church, Sunday school maybe, but don't do it much on my own. If you're doing one of those or both, circle seeking and or searching. When you find it, are you receiving it into your life? If so, circle Receive it. If you're receiving it, if you're applying it, if you're using it. Does your heart incline or draw near to his word? If you say, well, I, it really is a hard thing for me. It's not just something I go through. I go to church. I take notes. I study a little bit on my own. I have some devotion. But if your heart's not really into it, if you're not stretching your heart out, inclining yourself towards God's word, then don't circle incline our hearts. But if you are, then circle incline. And do you treasure it? Be honest now. Do you really treasure God's word? Or is it just part of your life? Or do you really treasure it? If you do, circle treasure. If you need more time to think about that, you can take it home and, and think about it some more. But obtaining wisdom requires diligence on man's part in pursuing God's will of seeking and searching. Following God's path to growing in wisdom means keeping on a narrow path It's not easy to do these things. It's a narrow path. And it's very easy to get off the path. You may say, hey, this was true of me like two years ago, but now I'm kind of waning. I'm kind of off the path. I'm kind of going a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. 
You have to come to a narrow path. And so with that in mind, I wanted to show a clip from Facing the Giants by the Kendrick Brothers. If you've seen this, you'll probably remember this clip. They be right down the middle. You got this. Sorry, Coach. Baby, listen, son. You act like you're going to miss before you even kick the ball. See, we're going to have to change your whole kicking philosophy. Now, see, you kicking wide left or wide right. But that ain't what's going to get you home. The ball has got to go through the middle. I know, Coach. No, no, you don't. Now, what does Scripture say about this? Um... Scripture says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many they'll be there finding. Not to us. That's wide left and wide right. Wow. But narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And few they'll be there finding. Wow. Anybody can kick it wide left or wide right. My mama can kick it wide left and wide right. But that ain't what's going to get you home. Come on. It don't have to look pretty. It don't have to look smooth. It can look like a dying duck. But the ball has got to go through the middle. Oh, my word. Now, David, you're going to have to choose a narrow way. Because that's the only path where you'll get your reward. Now, send this ball through these pearly posts. Say it one more time for me, Jonathan. David, I've never heard it that way before, but there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. See you kick it. What do you think? Does he make it? All right. Now that verse that he's quoting is from where? And it's Matthew 7, 13 and 14, right? Now I gotta admit, those verses in context are talking about salvation. Okay? The narrow way is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone. No other religion, no other way. You can't work your way to heaven. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to the earth to pay for our sins because we're all sinners. And Scripture says, or Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. That's a narrow way. And that's what people have against Christianity. Oh, you just say it has to be your way. We can find God other ways. No, I'm sorry. God himself, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You can go right and do whatever else you think will get you to heaven. You can go wide left. It's the narrow way to get you there. Even though it talks about salvation, I think you can apply that here as well. It is a narrow path that we have to decide to walk as Christians if we want to follow God. If we want to do these eight ifs, then he will give us the four thens, okay? Um, the next two sections, starting verse 12. Oh, I'm sorry, I was giving the gospel when I left off. He paid for our sins. Now, the narrow way is trusting in him as our Savior, acknowledging that we are sinners and we need the payment he made on the cross with his blood. We need to accept that to be saved. That's the narrow way. Now, the rest of this uh, chapter, or this, uh, I keep calling it chapter, proverb. I'm going to go through kind of quickly, so if you're watching the clock like I am, don't worry, we're still okay. Um, 12 through 15 says this. To deliver you, there's two things that uh, the 
that we will find two um, results of following the narrow way. It will deliver you from the way of evil. For the man who speaks perverse things from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The first purpose of wisdom, the first result of not following that path. Let me say it again. The first purpose, the result of following the path, is it will deliver you from the way of evil. It will deliver you from the man who speaks perverse things. It will deliver you from those who leave the paths, fill in that blank, the paths of righteousness, uprightness, and who walk in the ways of darkness. It will deliver you from those who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of the evil or wicked. And it will deliver you from those whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So we have a path that we need to follow. It's a narrow. But if we don't follow that path, we're going to follow the ways of the crooked. We're going to follow the ways of the evil. We're going to follow their paths. They're taking a path too, but it's the wide path. It's the wide left path, the wide right path. It's easier. That's why they take it. Verse 16 and 19 is another thing that we might fall into, another evil we might fall into if we don't follow the narrow way. 16 through 19. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. And for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. I went too far. 16 through 19. Besides delivering us from the way of evil, evil men, specifically it's going to save you, the narrow path will save you from the evil woman, the seductress. You could apply this in a more general sense. Uh, In the Old Testament, they often wrote of uh, adulteress referring to the other nations, the heathen nations. So it could be more broader than just an adulterous woman. But the idea is that if you follow the narrow path, it will deliver you from the seductress who flatters with her words, the one who forsakes or leaves her companion of her youth, the one who forgets the covenant of her God, whose house sinks or leads down to death, her paths or her tracks lead to dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach again the paths of life. So the conclusion, although don't get too excited because I have a little bit more after this, but the conclusion of Proverbs 2 is found in 20 through 22. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. So here again, you will walk in the way, the path, the narrow path of good men. You will keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the treacherous or unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Wisdom keeps us on the right path, the course way 
the tracks, that idea is found 11 times in these verses. But, as we indicated, we have to choose the right path. We've got to choose the narrow path, not the wide right or the wide left, but the narrow path. And I know this isn't probably the best example to use, but Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade made famous the phrase, choose wisely. I don't recommend Indiana Jones movies. They kind of get off into the satanic, especially this one. So I don't recommend them to you. I watched this one maybe once or twice, and then got just like, I don't want to watch it anymore. But it has the best example of what I've been trying to say in Proverbs 2 that I could find. So instead of showing you a clip, because I didn't like the clip, I'll just show you a few slides. If you remember, if you've seen the movie, if you haven't, don't bother. The most important part is right now. If you've seen the movie, you know that Indiana Jones and his party are racing the bad guys to get the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, according to legend, is the cup that Christ used at the Last Supper. Legend also has it that Joseph of Arimathea, who was instrumental in burying Christ, used the cup to collect some of the blood of Christ as it dripped from his body on the cross. Not scripturally sound, okay? Just bear with me. And now that cup was saved, and legend has it that if you drink from it, you can have eternal life. No. Just follow with me. Well, the cup was, was saved, found, and was given to the Knights Templar. Don't ask me to explain who that is. But crusaders that found this cup got it back from Jerusalem, and they hid it in the cave, and they've been guarding it ever since. And some of the Templars are 500 years old, and there's one guy really, really old here in the picture that um, was guarding it at this time. But there were dozens of cups in the cave, and you had to find out which one it was. Well, the bad guy comes in, and he's looking at all the cups, and he says, well, Jesus Christ, he's the king of kings. So he decides that he'd look for the most innate, ornate, beautiful cup, golden cup filled with jewels and diamonds and all kinds of stuff. He says, oh, this is a cup suited for the king of kings. So he takes it and he drinks from it. Guess what? He dies. Okay? So Indiana Jones is there, and he's thinking, which cup would it be? And as I said, the 500-plus-year-old knight says, you must choose but choose wisely. So Indiana Jones thinks, and he goes through this process, and he thinks, what would a carpenter use? So he looks for the plainest cup there. And instead of getting this more elaborate one that the evil guy chose, he gets this one in the background that was just a plain, simple chalice, plain, simple cup. Why did he choose that? Well, I think he knew Proverbs chapter 2. Just kidding. Uh, But this is why it fits so well in my sermon. He had a knowledge of who Jesus was. He knew, I'm not saying he was saved, but he knew that Jesus was, yes, the Messiah. He called king of kings, but he also knew he was a carpenter. He grew up as a carpenter and then became an itinerant uh, preacher. They're not going to be able to afford a golden cup studded with jewels. So he had the knowledge that he was a carpenter. He had the understanding from that knowledge that Jesus would, what Jesus, 
He understood that who Jesus was would impact the type of chalice he would use. He thought, okay, I know he's a carpenter, therefore I understand he'll choose a simpler cup for the Last Supper. And from that knowledge and understanding, he had the wisdom to comprehend that an earthly kingdom of, of the king of kings was not yet there. It was not yet received. So his wisdom told him he wouldn't be claiming the king of kings title at this point. And his discernment based upon that wisdom was to perceive that a carpenter, an itinerant preacher, could only afford a simple chalice, not one of ornate gold or silver. So pure fantasy, all of it, okay? Don't tell anybody that I believe in Dan Jones and the last crusade and anything about this. But it's pure fantasy. But the knight told Indy, true rewards await those who choose wisely. And so it is with us. True rewards from God come to those who choose wisely, the narrow path. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And to serve him means to follow his path. Let's pray.